This morning, um, we're blessed to have Brother Gary Greiser again with us this morning, at the, and bro, while Brother LD and Joyce is on vacation. And one thing about Gary Greiser I want you to know about that I just recently learned in the last half a year, he's an expert on Wordle and word games. And every day he posts his progress on the Facebook. And some days he has a few clinkers, but most of the time he gets them in one or two. He goes, oh, this was a good day. I got it in three today. So I know this today you'll get it in one. So it would be all right. So thank you for being with us. James, it's a pleasure to be back with you again this morning. Uh, LD has assured me he will return next week. Uh, I'm not sure if he's running the Cincinnati Flying Pig Marathon today or, or just what he's up to. Uh, I, did, I did wonder, I saw his upcoming sermon series, Four Weeks on Guilt. You all ask him what prompted him to do a four-week series on guilt. What did he do? <laughs> and then I thought, well, this is the third time this year that I've been here to, to fill in for him. Uh, he was quarantined one week, and then the last two weeks he's been goofing off. And uh, so I thought at this rate, at the end of the year, I might qualify for a partial Christmas bonus. <laughs> Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 10 and verse 10, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I believe God intends for all of us to live an abundant life. And I believe that there are some specific ingredients that make up an abundant life. And I want to share with you this morning in the next few minutes what I think some of those ingredients are. The story you're about to hear is true. The names have not been changed to protect the innocent. Uh, it's basically my life before Wordle, James. <laughs> I grew up in the little town of Burlington, Kentucky. I always went to church. My parents were very active in the church, sang in the choir. Mother was involved in WMU. And so at the age of zero... I became a member of the Burlington Baptist Church Choir and the WMU. Mother did not believe in babysitters, and I didn't get along that well with my older sister, so off I went to all of those programs at church. I learned about Jesus at an early age, but I was never comfortable talking to anybody about Jesus nor listening to anybody talk to me about Jesus. We called as our pastor at Burlington Baptist Church a guy named Bob Wallace. And Bob Wallace seemed to have one focus on his ministry, and that was to talk to me about my need for Jesus Christ in my life. I began avoiding Bob Wallace like the plague. I would see him coming and literally duck and go another direction to avoid the conversation. I loved to play baseball as a kid, and I remember one particularly hot summer day. We had just finished a doubleheader at Burlington, and it was, uh, I, so I stuck out my thumb to speed up the process of getting home. 
The very first car down Bellevue Road stopped to give me a, a ride. Guess who I'd flagged? Bob Wallace, the preacher. Well, as you can imagine, the topic of conversation was my need for Jesus Christ in my life. Something happened to me that day in his car. All the things that I had heard at church, all the things that my Sunday school teachers had tried to teach me, my RA leaders had tried to teach me, the sermons that my pastor had preached, all of that kind of began to fall into place. And there in the quietness of Bob Wallace's car, I invited Jesus Christ into my life to be my Lord and Savior. We were in revival that week, and so I was baptized. And I know that since that time, I, was, I think I was 14 at the time, I've made a lot of decisions in my life since that day as a 14-year-old boy. But I have never made a more important decision in all my life than the decision I made that day to invite Jesus Christ into my life to be Lord and Savior of my life. You see, he touched me that day and began to make of my life something beautiful. Touch 
essential ingredient for abundant living, I believe, is salvation. The process of committing yourself to Jesus, to asking his forgiveness of your sins, and asking him to save your soul, publicly making a profession of faith of that commitment. Salvation is the first and most essential ingredient for abundant living. 1962, where were you in 62, some of you weren't even born yet. How many of you weren't even born yet? Let me see. Oh, my word, I feel so old today. <laughs> I was a senior in high school, Boone County High School, Florence, Kentucky. Oh, I can remember it well. Scary time of life. 62, I was graduating. Seemed like everybody in my graduating class had a plan. After, after graduation. Some of them were going to get married. Some had jobs lined up. Some were going into the military. Some were going to stay home and think about it for a few more years, but everybody had some kind of a plan, except me. I wasn't sure what I was to do next. For 12 years, the big yellow bus had been coming by my house, and now all of a sudden it was going to pass my house right on by. Well, I went down to see my guidance counselor, presented her with my dilemma. She said, Gary, you've done well in math and science all through school. You work for the local land surveyor for several summers. Why don't you go to the University of Cincinnati and major in civil engineering? They make good money. So I did. Off I went to the University of Cincinnati, put my out-of-state tuition on the on the registrar's desk, signed up for the classes, found out that everything is pre-planned for you in the College of Civil Engineering. You simply take drafting, calculus, geometry, and a whole lot of exciting courses like that. About halfway through the first term, I got a letter from the academic dean. And I thought, wow, this is a pretty important guy here. I wonder why he's writing to me. I opened that letter and it said, in essence, Dear Gary, if you don't shape up with your grades, we're going to ship you back to Kentucky. Well, needless to say, I was not setting the world on fire in the College of Civil Engineering. So at the end of that first term, I voluntarily quit. Incidentally, I got an A in ROTC in case anybody's interested. Well, I don't know how it is around your house, but when somebody messes up at the Greiser house, things go something like this. Everybody gathers around the kitchen table, and everybody has an opinion of what this person that has messed up needs to do to straighten up his life. 
the, the conversation went something like this. Maybe if Gary went to a smaller school, he would do better. Maybe if Gary went to a school where he lived away from home, he would be a bit more responsible. Maybe if Gary went to a school where his older sister was already attending, she could keep a watchful eye on him. So off I went to Georgetown College in Georgetown, Kentucky, and they said, sure, we'll take you on academic probation. But before we accept you, you must declare a major. I said, I don't know. I know I don't want a major in civil engineering, but that's as close as I can narrow it down. They said, you must declare a major. I said, but I've always liked to sing. So I put music in that box as my major, and I was in. I found there were some similarities to the College of Civil Engineering and the College of Music. Everything in the College of Music is also pre-planned for you. They tell you you must take Music Theory 1, Music Theory 2, Music Theory 3, 4, and 5, orchestration, conducting, acoustics, and a whole lot of exciting courses like that. Got to my first Music Theory 1 class. 23 people in the class. Everybody in the class, except one, had, had some music training before they arrived at Georgetown. Everybody in the class, except one, had given a recital before they came to school. Everybody in the class, except one, knew where middle C was on the piano keyboard. There was one guy in there that didn't know any of that stuff, the big dummy from UC. Well, at the end of the first week of class, Dr. Thompson said, Gary, I need to see you after class. I stayed. He said, Gary, the rest of the class seems to be a bit more advanced than you. I said, yes, sir, I noticed that too. He said, I'm not asking you to drop out of the class. I just want you to know it's not going to be easy. I stayed. I got a C in Music Theory 1. Now, I would have been in trouble for a C in high school. But I'll tell you what, I was happy to get a C in Music Theory 1. I think I still have the transcript in my car if you'd like to see it after church. <laughs> Why did God make you? He could have made somebody else, you know. But God made you just like you are, warts and all. You see, I believe that God has a plan for our life. And sometimes it may take a while to get on track for his plan. But I believe that if we continue to ask the question, God, why did you make me? Why did you make me? What is the purpose for my life? I believe if we continue to ask, the answer will come, and we will know his will for our life. Why me, Lord? Why me? Why me, Lord? What have I Loving 
Second is finding God's will for your life. And third, I believe, is doing God's will with your life. You see, I believe that we can ask the question, God, why did you make me ask it over and over and over? And God will reveal to us the answer of what his will is for our life. And then we have the freedom to choose that will for our life or to do something else. And God will let us do something else. But I believe we will miss the abundant life that Jesus spoke of in John 10.10 if we choose to do something else. While I was a student at Georgetown College, the phone began to ring. And I would get an invitation to come to a church and sing. I would nervously accept those invitations, stand before those congregations and sing, How Great Thou Art. I would sit down after I sang, usually on the front row, and the preacher would get up, and before he'd start his, his preaching, he would brag on my singing. Wow, that's pretty neat. That happened over and over and over again, until I just knew when the phone rang, it was going to be some preacher. I was going to go sing, How Great Thou Art. I was going to sit down, he was going to brag on my singing, and I was going to swell up. You can see it's become a permanent condition. 
I'll never forget. The phone rang. A guy named Henry Downing from the 7th Street Baptist Chapel in Lexington, Kentucky, invited me to come to his church to sing. I nervously accepted his invitation, stood before his congregation, and sang, How Great Thou Art. I sat down, and before he started preaching, he bragged on my singing. I was in the middle of my swelling up routine, and he said, I bet Brother Gary must thank God every day for giving him the ability to sing. Whoa. I had been singing since I was four. And I never even thought one time to thank God for the ability to sing. Well, I thought it was me. Well, I, I took the muffler off the, off the tractor and tried to outsing the noise of the motor to build up the intensity. I, I took all those voice lessons. I paid all that money. I studied hard to get a degree in music education. I thought it was me. Boy, did I learn something that day. It wasn't me at all. In God's plan for my life, music was to play an important part. And so God gave me abilities to sing. In order to be equipped to do his will for my life. Now God doesn't treat me any different than he does anybody else. He equips all of us to be able to carry out his will in his world with your life. I hope you're not as slow a learner as I am. I hope you've learned long ago that the talents and abilities that you have are gifts that God has placed in you to equip you to do his will. The song says it better than I could. It says, all that I am and ever hope to be, I owe it all to God. To God be the glory, my tribute. Oh 
just let me live my life. Let it be pleasing, Lord, to thee. And should I gain any praise, let it go to Calvary, Calvary. salvation. Second is finding God's will for your life. And third is doing God's will with your life. And fourth and finally is trusting Jesus to be Lord of everything you do. I graduated from Georgetown College with a bachelor's degree in music education, taught music one year in Nicholas County, Kentucky. Went back to Georgetown, got a, another master's degree in guidance counseling of all things and returned to Boone County to be a guidance counselor and then got my certificate to be a principal and became an administrator after that. One of the jobs that I had along the way was assistant principal in charge of discipline at Boone County High School in Florence, Kentucky. Now, you may recall I graduated from Boone County High School in Florence, Kentucky in 1962. When I came back as the assistant principal, there were 13 teachers on the staff who taught me as a kid. <laughs> you talk about a dream come true, I came back as their supervisor. That was pretty good. <laughs> it was a tough job. I don't know, we had 1,000 students or so. All of them knew the rules well enough to break them often enough to keep one guy busy full-time doing discipline stuff. And after four years of that, I was what they called back in the 60s, burnt out. And so I had applied for a transfer to a central office position. And while I was awaiting a decision on my transfer request, the school year was coming to an end. I was having lunch in the cafeteria. A student came running up, Mr. Greiser, you better come. There's trouble outside. So I left my lunch, went outside, and I found that uh, a student who had dropped out the year before had come back onto campus that day, higher than a kite. He had been consuming angel dust and vodka the night before, and he was still in such a state he didn't have a clue what was going on. Now, I knew this boy very well. I had been his guidance counselor in junior high school. And there came a time in his life when his family kicked him out of their home and he had no place to go. We didn't have a Maplewood home at that time. So I called Marie. I said, are you willing for me to bring a kid home for a few days to get straightened up? She was willing. I took him home. He was in our home for several days. I knew him very well. 
smart kid, bright kid, had some tough circumstances to deal with and couldn't put it all together. So here I am outside confronting him. He said, hey, Mr. Geyser, let's see who's best. And he put up both fists like this. I said, Tony, just go home. You're, you're going to get in a lot of trouble here today. Just go home. He wouldn't listen. He took a punch at me. I blocked his punch, pushed him up against the wall, held him there. And about that time, his brother Mike came along. And I struggled with both of them, wound up with one in each hand by the hair of the head. It was a sight. And about that time, their friend Jimmy came along and punched me right in the mouth. And I could tell damage had been done. So I let Tony go, grabbed Mike, held on to him, took him into the band room. He kept yelling, let me go, let me go. I let him go after we got inside the band room. It was all locked up. He couldn't get out, chained. He went to the wire glass window on the other side and put both fists through a wire glass window and pulled his hands back, and he was bleeding out of both arms. I could see that the police had come. I grabbed uh, Mike and took him out to the ambulance. They began patching him up. Police were sitting on Tony, putting handcuffs on him, and they decided that both Mike and I needed to go to the hospital for stitches. Jimmy had disappeared in some way. So here I was getting stitches in my lip. He was getting stitches in his arms. I called back to school to see how things went. And I learned that they had taken Tony and put him in the Florence police station, locked him up. Jimmy had come back to the school and caused another disturbance. And he was arrested, and they took him back to the Florence police station and took him to put him in the same cell as Tony, and they found Tony had hanged himself with his belt and was dead. 17 years old, bright kid, dead. Drugs, alcohol. Phone rang at my house that night. An anonymous voice said, you killed Tony. You're going to die. And hung up. I told Marie, these kids get tanked up. They know where we live. No telling what might happen. Take boys, our boys, we have two sons. And go to Lexington and stay with your mother till this thing calms down. She didn't want to leave. Phone rang again. Another voice said, you killed Tony. Your kids are going to die. I said, Marie, that's enough. Take, take the kids and go to Lexington. She didn't want to go. She said, let's pray about this. <laughs> I can assure you prayer was not at the top of my list at that moment in time. But I am pleased to report it was at the top of hers. We prayed. The phone stopped ringing. No harm came to my family. I went back to school the next day feeling a little foolish. Six foot five, over 200 pounds, and four stitches in my lower lip from a kid about this tall. And I thought this was a job that was pretty tough to begin with. I thought that after that it would be impossible. But the job had changed. It seemed that all those kids that were just having so many problems 
It seemed like all of them were opportunities for God to do something in their life. You see, I prayed for the first time about my job. And I believe God heard my prayer. And I believe that God always wanted to be an assistant principal in charge of discipline. He was just waiting for an opportunity to be invited. And I invited Jesus to go with me to work. And he did. A lot of lessons learned. But the most important lesson was God wants to be Lord of my life and yours. And he only comes into those portions of our life where we invite him. He isn't pushy. So if we invite him to help us raise our children, help us manage our finances, help us make the decisions of life, he will. But if we don't ask, he may not. So I would ask, is Jesus your Savior? Is Jesus your Lord? And to me that the definition of him being Lord is where we invite him into the nooks and crannies of our life and we ask him and expect him to guide us through the decisions of life. Jesus said, because I live, ye shall live also. Is Jesus living in you today?